Appreciate y'all checking out this show. I think you know who is to the side of me. Chris Johnson, a important piece of UCLA's lore, part of that national championship team in 1995 as only a freshman. You can follow him on Twitter at Point Forward Pro. I'm on Twitter at Brian Fenley. Chris, how are you doing, man? Man, I'm doing uh, as well as I can sure. given the current climate uh, with the global pan- pan- pandemic, but it seems like things are getting better, so I'm feeling all right, man. I'm excited. Excited to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me on, man. Oh, well, dude, you are an important piece of UCLA basketball history, and, and your family certainly is as well. And and I see that 54 hanging in the rafters in Poly Pavilion with Johnson's name on it, and I'm like, are you sure that's not Chris? That's on his jersey? <laughs> I wish. I, I wasn't that good. But uh, I did uh, ride my dad's coattails for a little bit as a Bruin. It was definitely an honor. It's funny. They uh, – they retired his jersey along with Walt Hazard, I believe, when I was a sophomore or right before one of our games. I think we were playing Arizona. They had a ceremony. So that's how the jersey got up there. So, but, but UCLA made an exception uh, for me and my brother, Josiah. They let us rock the 5-4. <laughs> yeah, Josiah would always joke when I had him on the podcast. He's like, you know, I just tell everybody that that's me and that that yeah. jersey represents me. Yeah, so, so, yeah you, got, you got to. Get some mileage out of it, right? Absolutely. And your family has been so important to UCLA basketball. Like you said, not just you, also your brother, your, your father, and, and I go back to that 95 magical year for you when Ty said he hit that shot against Missouri, and you were a part of that game, and then your dad was on the radio broadcast of, of that game, and that's where his infamous, what was it, yeah, baby, yeah, baby, how many times yeah, did baby. he say that in a row? I mean, just, he was, it was absolute euphoria. Um, and, and all he said was, yeah, baby, yeah, baby, yeah, baby, yeah, baby. I mean, each yeah got deeper and deeper yeah. as he went along, but, it, but I felt them. I mean, it was a, right. I mean, if you could have been there in that gym, in that atmosphere and about two minutes before the feeling of despair season's over, we're done. We're left in the water. We had just um, last the season before we had lost to Tulsa in the first round in '94. Sure. So, so, so '95 was all about redemption for Ed O'Bannon and then Tyus Adney, George Zedek, and this entire crew. So, so to be there in that moment, two minutes before, where you're just like, "Oh shoot, man, this might be it." You know, we're, I'm starting to think about my my plans for spring break. I'm thinking about Cabo and and things like that. Like, yo, it's over. You know what I mean? And so. The euphoria behind my dad and then our celebration, as you see, yeah. it, was all, it was warranted. It was warranted. Well, I want to get into your celebration because so much of the camera well, – I mean, the, there, there were cameras all over the place right after that bucket was made by Edney, and he somehow got that shot over the outstretched fingertips of that Mizzou Tiger defender. And we had uh, J.R. Henderson on the other day, and I asked him about that final play, and he said, you know, I just – prayed to myself that Tyus would not pass me the ball because please do not give me the ball and let me try to take the shot. Where were you when this was happening? And ultimately right afterwards in the, the, just the ensuing, like you said, euphoria. Yeah. So where I was, I was at the end of the bench hanging out, had some, I think I might've had my towels on. I used to be really superstitious about oh. wearing different towels and you know so during the course of the year wow. say we'd, be tra- we'd be down or we'd be trailing a team uh, i put the towels or i changed the towel into a certain position wow. and and then we end up win- winning and so i had that as one of my superstitions so anyway i'm adjusting my towel 
I, I, I just got out the timeout. Coach Herrick had just made his, his, his little spiel to Tyus and, and to the team about the last second play that we were going to run. And I'm, I'm on two knees on the bench, kind of leaning forward, you know, looking, looking at the whole deal. And um, when Tyus hit the shot, I mean, he, he was coming down towards us, I believe. Yeah, he came down towards us, I believe. If I recall, I'm older now, so I might, I might be getting this wrong. But when he hit the shot, when you saw it go in, first of all, you didn't think he was going to make the shot. First of all, the I thought time was going to run out because yeah. he had because he had to change direction at half court and go behind his back. So I'm like, oh shoot, this is, I'm like this dude's not even going to get a shot up. And the fact that he hit it and then he you know he had his arms stretched like it was way out here. Yeah, you're five ten taking on I guess six eight six nine dude to bank it in to go in and, and as soon as it dropped you know I had at, up to this point I had been. Uh, I had experienced a couple of nice last second plays in my career. Uh, so I, I just, you know, you still, every time you see a last second shot or, or make one, you still can't believe it just happened. <laughs> and so, and so Tyus, the shot goes in and I'm just, I lose it. I absolutely lose it. The towels come off. I'm I'm running on the court. I'm trying to find Tyus. I'm looking for yeah. teammates. It's, it's pandemonium. I mean, it was pure joy. And uh, yeah. I'm still thankful to this day. For Tyus, he's a, he's he's a legend of all legends for that. Sure, he is. And the the feeling I get was that was the kind of win that then told you guys, okay, we can do this. Like we can go the whole way now. That was sort of the wake up call win, where relatively speaking, you all pretty much just took care of business more or less without too much of a struggle the rest of the way in that tournament as you went on to, to beat Arkansas. And to do that as a freshman, Chris, and, and to do that knowing that your dad had also won a national title, and I can't even fathom how rare a company that is for all of these circumstances, for your dad to win a title, for his son to win a title, for you to wear the same jersey number and to do it at the same school. Like, is this the only person combination that's ever done such a feat? This is just incredible. Yeah, I, I think we are. I know Luke uh, and his dad have championships. The Bibbies have championships. Scott May and his son, um, man, I'm blanking on his name, but he played at North Carolina. Sure. Uh, they, got, they have championships, but none of them um, have a championship at the same school, let alone 20 years after you know, Coach Wooden's last title. And, and, and that this championship, I think what makes it really special at UCLA is, is that it is the only national championship that yeah. UCLA basketball has won where anyone other than name, anyone other than John Wooden was coach, right? So it's like 10 championships with John Wooden. You have one, and it was with our team, and it, that was special to us. Um, I had won two state championships in, in high school, uh, playing on a nationally ranked team at Crenshaw. I was, I kind of had a great you know, three or four year run. Uh, my dad did my games there, you know, yeah. the TV too. So it was, it was a great run for us for basketball. And it, it was really an honor to, to, to win that championship because coach wouldn't meant uh, a lot to me personally. Um, I always obviously viewed him as an icon, but once I had started that personal relationship, he actually called me in high school for a couple games. And once I started, you know, really building that personal relationship, I, I you know, it was, it was a true blessing. What would he tell you, Chris? We would talk about my game. I mean, he was always about my style of game. He he had been told how I played. People have, you know, I, back then it wasn't just so easy to just pull up some film and see it. But sure. he watched. But he watched me play, 
And he told me, he would tell me about my footwork, my positioning. He would talk about things that I needed to improve upon. Number one was conditioning. Um, he always would kind of, you know, have little little jokes, if you will, uh, about me losing a little bit of weight and things like that. He, he felt like, he, he honestly, the impression I got from Coach was that he, he believed in me. He, he believed if I lost that 30 pounds that I would be, you know, one of the t- our top guys. And, and it was so crazy because I, I lost 50, 55 my, the summer of my freshman and my sophomore year. And so I, I went from, so my freshman year, I averaged 1.4 points a game. I, I, my sophomore year, I averaged 12 and a half. So I ended up, I ended up, yeah, I ended up having one of the biggest jumps in, in scoring average. And a lot of it had, there's a lot of factors involved, but I will say that Coach Wooden and, and our personal relationship was a driving force behind, behind that time in my life. Fast forwarding, Chris, to your sophomore year. And, there was a lot of hype going into that season. Like you said, individually, your stats were such an improvement from a year ago, but then you take on a Princeton team, and that has to go down as one of the, the biggest upsets in, in college basketball history. Sure. How would you, now that you have given yourself some, some time to look back at that one, how does it all sit with you now? Uh, it sits a little better. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> than it did uh, when it first happened. You know, Princeton, and, and this is going to say, like my dad, for instance, my dad lost to Idaho State his senior year, but he always talks about how, but he always talks about how they had like five NBA players. So I'm about to do something similar. Yeah, yeah, Princeton, yeah. Princeton had, I think, two or three legitimate professionals. They had Steve Goodrich, Mitch Henderson, and then I believe one more guy that made it on some level playing professionally. Yeah. Um, so they were better. They're a lot better than everybody thought. This wasn't like just some Ivy Leaguers, Ivy Leaguers, yeah. just you know running back doors. They they, they were competitors. They knew how to play, they, and they had some skill and some talent. Um, the thing that happened that year, that year was totally dysfunctional. I mean, one of the most dysfunctional seasons of basketball I'd ever been a part of. I, quite frankly, we let the championship and all the success from the previous year get to our heads. Gotcha. Uh, and we, we stopped working. We stopped living in the gym. We started being more concerned with off the court and hanging out. I mean, we're 19, 20-year-old yeah. kids and the toast of L.A. And, and we're able to get into all the clubs and bars and all kind of stuff, Brian, that I won't mention on your podcast. I know you got a PG, <laughs> I know you got a PG audience. But, oh, still. We, but we want, we, we want the truth in a, in a way to come out. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. But, but all that being said, uh, that – so when you look at Princeton, I know everybody just looks at it as one game. For yeah, us, yeah. that were for us that were a part of it, that went through the whole journey and knew the ins and outs of everything that was going on behind the scenes, the world was going down. You know, it, it was expected. We we didn't do uh, right by the game. We didn't do right by UCLA, by Coach Herrick. We didn't do right by anybody by ourselves that season. We were just you know we lost our way for a little bit. Um, and, and so at the, ultimately we had to pay one of the biggest prices that you have to pay nationally embarrassed, defending national champions in front of 32,000 at the RCA dome, Gus Johnson's, uh, the play by his first, his first major call. Wow. That's what put Gus on the map, right? Cause press, yeah, go yeah. back and look. So, so all that being said, we deserved it. You know, we were in the airport after the game headed home, you know, just, you know, usually when we traveled as UCLA. People were always, hey, you know, just, oh, wow, you know, Charles O'Banna, Chris Johnson, UCLA, love you guys. You know, we were tra- we traveled home from Indiana after that Princeton loss. I, re- I remember being, in, I think, in Indianapolis, or we had a layover maybe. Okay. I can't remember. I can't remember where I was. 
I just remember people kind of giving us the side eye, like, oh, there's UCLA. They just lost. Like, <laughs> oh, they lost to Princeton. Like, yo, I'm not, I'm not going to ask for their autograph. Like, you know, the kids are like, Dad, I don't want his autograph. They just lost to a bunch of Ivy Leaguers. So that, it hurt. That, that, that loss hurt. But it fueled us for the next season, and wow. we all came back. We all came back a much better group and more focused. Because that next year, Chris, you guys went to the Elite Eight, right, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, went to the Elite Eight. We should, again, I'm going to do that, that thing again. We lost to Minnesota. <laughs> we, we lost to Minnesota, who had five NBA players in their starting five. And Quincy Lewis coming off the bench. I believe he was a first-round draft pick. But uh, long story short, we lost to Minnesota. But, God, Brian, when I tell you that that year was special, yeah, that year, it, it reminded me of this year with uh, the Mick Cronin coach Bruce. Yeah, okay. sure. So listen, listen how it went. Listen how it went. 97 coach. So 96 coach Herrick off season coach Herrick gets fired. Yeah. We got the, we got the infamous dinner at Monty's. I was there. I was a host. You know, we had, we hosted the Colin twins and Earl Watson. It was myself, Bob Myers and somebody else's host. Sure. Ended up having too many people at the dinner. Boom. You know, violations. Boom. Pete Dallas, the old AD, not playing that game with Herrick. He's out of there. Steve Lavin steps in. First year coach, young, kind of uh, you know energetic, uh, excellent communicator, tremendous in managing personalities, et cetera. Comes in, we stake it up the first half of the season. You know, we suck. We go to uh, United Center, playing Mike's home, Michael George's home, and get smashed by Illinois. We go uh, somewhere. Duke, Kansas came in and beat us by thirty, and you know, so it was it was ugly to start off. We have a team meeting on the road after yet another bad non-conference loss somewhere. I forgot where. And guys got pretty emotional. Guys got pretty heated, passionate, up, up in each other's faces, uh, you know, this short of blows. And, but, but the thing that happened was we got some things out on the table. And, and, and guys, sure. got to, guys got to express how they felt about each other. And when you're in college, it's one of the toughest things to do is tell – you know, your teammate or your fellow, you know, college man, you know, how you feel about it or, or you don't yeah. like this about without it being angry or without it being kind of, you know, turned up. So we had that conversation. And out of that, you know, we went on a hell of a run. We ended up finishing it, uh, get, getting a number two seed. They sent us out to Auburn Hills. We played at the Palace uh, where the Pistons play um, and ended up and ended up losing to a very good Minnesota team. But that game in particular, um, we were up 10 with 10 minutes to go, 10 minutes to go. Yeah. Jelani McCoy gets tagged with like a serious elbow from John Thomas. A uh, big guy got drafted by the Knicks, 6'9", 275. Tagged, Bruce Sternum goes out the game. J.R. Henderson picks up his fourth foul. So now J.R.'s out, Jelani's out. That's our 6'10 and our 6'9". Sure. So they had – so it's me – and Bob Myers at the four and the five for the last 10 minutes of the freaking game going against, you know, some NBA frontline dudes. And they just overmatched us. Bobby Jackson got hot. They overwhelmed us and we ended up losing. But, God, that team, I mean, the fan support, the, the relationship. I mean, we had so many fans that they, I think we chartered out there. We had wow. a bunch of fans bunch of fans, Bruin fans on the plane. Bruin fans took over the uh, hotel we were staying at. So you go downstairs in the lobby, it's just Bruin everywhere. Yeah. I mean, there, I tell you, that was one of the most special feelings I had ever had in my whole life of basketball. Just like, just opening my door and looking down. It's one of those places where you have that, what is that about? Like, I don't, where the middle is open, you know, those type of hotels. Like, it's not Embassy Suites, but sure. do you know what that's called? I don't know what that's called, but anyway. 
I open my, my hotel room, I look downstairs, and it's just blue and gold. Wow. Got the band playing. You got people at the bar chilling. And you just got fans. And, and the interaction with the fans, the love, the communication, the conversation, the relationships, that's part of what made that era of my UCLA basketball so, so, um, so special. Because you, you, you weren't just playing for the team yourselves. You know, you're, you're playing for the legacy. You're playing for John Wooden. You're playing for the 10 titles, the 10 banners. You're playing for the guys that were there before you. The Walt Hazards and the Fred Slaughters and the Captain Lou Alcindor, the Curtis Rose, Sidney Witts, you know what I mean? Those guys. Dave Myers, Richard White. I can go down the list. I, I grew up in it, so I bleed it. Uh, it's a part of who I am. Uh, make no mistake about it. Um, but anyway, I sidetracked God. I started talking about UCLA, man. I get out of days. Oh, dude, no, that, this is why we have you on. I love this. And of course, you know who's talking. This is Chris Johnson. Follow him on Twitter at Point Forward Pro. I'm on Twitter at Brian Fenley. You, you brought up J- Jelani McCoy. We had him on a couple of days ago. And I want to, okay. in just a moment, ask you about the whole Space Jam and, and the Michael Jordan stuff. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But what I did want to do to kind of finish off particularly UCLA basketball talk, and you, you slowly hinted at the, the current status of UCLA basketball and, sure. and where it went from, like you said, a, a sputtering start at the beginning of last year to one where it was cut short after a great finish and left us all wondering how good that team could have actually been. And Prince Ali came on the other day, and he called – that team last year at the end of the season, one of the hottest, most dangerous teams in the country. And I would have loved to see how UCLA would have done if they had the NCAA tournament, if they held the Pac-12 tournament, because they could have just gone on this crazy run. Yeah. From your perspective, Chris, what is your take on the status of UCLA moving forward and what they have as far as players? And then we also heard the report out today that Dacian Nix is going to go the, the G League route, of the five-star guy. And that's a, that's a big loss, but we still have a point guard. So personally, Chris, I'm not totally surprised or I don't think it's going to be as big of a, a blow to the team as other people expect. Well, I'll touch on uh... – the last part of your statement first. Um, with Nick's being out the picture, and you can't blame the kid. You know, he's got to, you know, the, uh, the G League came with a bigger bag. I mean, that's just how it goes. I mean, you know, either go to college for free. You know, you don't have full control. Your, your, your the use of your likeness and images, you can't really do anything as far as making money. And today's kid likes money. And yeah. they're, into, they're into monetizing their brand. Early. Sure. Okay, because you got guys like Mellow Ball, seven and eight million followers. They can make cash. Just Mikey Williams. They can make cash just by doing that. So anyway, yeah. I don't blame the kid for going. What I do like about losing him, if that's even a, pot, a statement that makes any sense, the silver lining is it's now Tiger Campbell's team, and he yeah. gets to really be in on the controls. He's kind of it was looming kind of over his shoulder when this Knicks kid came in. Everybody was kind of thinking about. How are Tiger and Nick's gonna mesh exactly. and mold together? Yeah. That was the big question. Now with Nick's out the picture, sure. And, and, and look, Tiger Campbell is a kid that spearheaded. He was the point guard on the turnaround when they made the turnaround. So for me, it's like the confidence, the trust that this team has in him at the one. You alleviate a lot of issues. We'd have loved to have Nick's, as I would have loved to have any of the five stars yes. that UCLA did not either recruit or sign that went elsewhere. I like having a full cupboard 
of choices and options when I open Definitely. my dog on when I open my cabinet I want to see some things in there I want some <laughs> cookies I want some crackers I want some chocolate I want some sweet you know sour punch you know what I yeah, mean yeah, so, yeah. so for me I want I like guys I like being able to say if this guy leaves early if this guy gets hurt we got another guy that's going to do what step up next man up that's what UCLA basketball has always been for me we always got somebody that can come in the game when 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 we needed help Tiger Campbell now gets to move forward, full reins of control. This is his team. He's the leader. There's nothing, there's no drama there. And I also love the fact that they picked up Jalen Clark and, and Johnny Zuzan. Oh, he's going to be um, huge. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they both, and, and, and having, I called a couple of Clark's games this year with Etiwanda uh, when they played against Sierra Canyon. I was, I was really impressed with his mental approach to the game, his demeanor on the court. He seems like the quintessential Mick Cronin type of player. He's a okay. dog. He's a dog on defense. He's athletic as heck. He's explosive, and he's not scared. It don't matter about who you are. I don't care if you got five stars or six stars. He's going at you. He went at Brandon Boston. He went at Zaire Williams. He went at all those guys, all those guys. And there was not a lot of answers for him. They just had a better team, ultimately. And then Zuzang coming in from Kentucky – I love that move. I love him transferring back. Been a fan of his um, and his brother since they were uh, younger in high school. Uh, they, he came out of the Compton Magic program, one of the top programs in all of the country as far as AAU. But being at Kentucky, experiencing that Kentucky mystique, that aura, and then the Coach Calipari, Kenny Payne structure, the work ethic, the, 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 the workouts, and, and all the performance training, everything you got to do when you're out there in Kentucky – He's the kind of guy that comes in once if we're able to get this quarantine lifted and guys are able to work out again. He's the kind of guy that would lead the workouts, set the example, and take guys up to another level of basketball. See, there's a lot of value in guys like a Zhang and a Clark off the court, outside of when you're in, in between the, four, the, 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 uh, the lines for 40 minutes. You need to prepare mm-hmm. For that type of stuff and these guys will drive you in practice so competition is going to be crazy what the, the thing i would like to see though from ucla is that they need to pick up a big uh you know yeah. you only got three guys you know cody riley and you had the red shirt from last year and the wamba and uh and uh, my man Jalen hill who i like he's got a lot better um Jalen showed flashes but you need sure. one more you need one more big guy in there big body preferably the footer uh, the kid mark um mark i can't remember his last name but he didn't make it uh, went to SC. That hurt. Uh, hopefully, there's something left that Coach Cronin could uh, fill fill this slot with. Oh man, I just think about Chris. What it would have been like if, say, we had like a Moses Brown on this team too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's that true. would have been. And, and I'm, I would Jalen Hands. Jalen Hands would have been here. Yeah, you think about that. And Jalen Hands, Compton Magic, Ike Anabogu, Compton Magic, and you mentioned just how much of a pipeline that program has been for pushing UCLA Bruins and then ultimately those guys getting their, their shot at the Absolutely. next level. So speaking of shooting and, and maybe of the film variety, there's a whole lot of talk. I want to ask you about the last dance, obviously your father and his experiences with Michael Jordan on the basketball court that have been noted, but also which Jelani brought up to me was that, while they were filming Space Jam with Michael Jordan, UCLA Bruins were on set. What was that all about? So, so we, 
so the summer we won the championship, it would have been Jelani's freshman year. Yeah. Uh, Mike, Michael Jordan sends a, uh, a message to UCLA that he wants, he's filming a movie, he wants all of us to come up and play. So, uh, we, you know, we go up there, go, go try to play. Uh, it's, it's a ton of competition that's there. It's a ton of NBA players, um, high-level guys that, you know, fill in the place. I, but let me backtrack. So we get – so we go up to, to the lot of Warner Brothers Studio, right, in yeah. Burbank, California. So you pull up. There's a security guard there. You know, and, you you know, anytime you, you're in L.A. at these studios and security yeah. stops you, it's sort of that – that feeling where you're just kind of like, oh, great, this guy. So what I knew was going to be a great summer is when I looked at the security guy and I just said, hey, man, I'm here to – oh, Chris, Chris Johnson, he knew me. He knew oh, who I was. Wow. He, he, he was like, go ahead, man, uh, just look for the big white dome and park next to it. So I'm like, okay, this is about to be a fun summer. So I, drop, <laughs> I drive in, I drive in, I park, and it's this gigantic dome. It's, it looks like – I describe it like one of those – Secret, like government type of, uh, I don't Area know, 51 where, or something? yeah, like where you got aliens buried like two, yeah, two yeah. miles down. So it's like that's the cover of it. Okay. But uh, you open it, you open it up, and and it's a full on basketball bonanza. So you have a full court. They brought in Long Beach State, uh, the Forty wow. Niners. So so yeah, the court they played on it says Long Beach State. Uh, it's blue and gold though. And then um, they had. They had a full set of weights. So every weight you can imagine, Cybex machines, you know, rows, pulls, dumbbells, they had that next to the court. And then next to the weights, you had um, a situation where you had like a little lounge area with a couple of sectional couches, huge TV sound system. You had a, a big old refrigerator filled with Gatorade and water, you know, showers, <laughs> locker room, gambling table, putting green. The thing was absolutely loaded and it was all created for mj he was filming early in the morning till usually uh in the middle of the evening and he also needed to prepare for um this is the summer of the 72 and 10 so he was coming back after baseball and um you know it was he was maligned and it was the you know is mj still mj etc so he he made it a point to work out like none other than an entire summer he wanted to go against the best of the best. So, I mean, that summer I was able – but the thing about the run, when all the heavy hitters started to get there, you're, you know, Patrick Ewing and Nick Van Exel and Magic. And I mean, I mean, all these – well, Magic wasn't there, but it was just Reggie Miller. I mean, all these guys started to get there. The UCLA guys were kind of – it was a, it's a totem pole. So, you know, nobody really cared that we had won a national championship. You know, we, it was tough to get on that court for that wow. five. Yeah, for that five. So, so guys had to. So, I, for me personally, I know Mike through meeting him a couple of times. I hadn't had like a tremendous, you know, relationship other than meeting him, other than knowing that he loved my dad and him and my dad were cool and all that. So, my initiative, you know, after yet another day or another uh, round of not being picked for the run, because we didn't get on the court for a little bit. I went up to Mike. I'm just like, you know, hey, Mike, you know, you know, you know, not introduce, kind of introduce myself and, yeah. and kind of told him, you know, hey, you know, not, I wasn't saying anything about him. I wasn't, you know, being, you know, kind of brown nosing him. My biggest, my biggest thing was, Mike, they're not letting me play, man. I, I'm trying to get on the court. You know, yeah. I, I want to see what's up. I want to play. Is anything you can do. 
So at that very moment, Jordan tells Tim Grover, his trainer, who's the guy that was picking the teams, you know, he, he makes it a loud kind of a pronouncement that I'm playing on his team every single day that I come up here, make sure that he don't want to see me standing on the sideline unless we lose and we not go lose. And that's what he said. We not go lose. So, so, so ultimately I, Jordan would pick me every single day. That's, this is the summer where I went from averaging 1.4 to 12.5, Brian. So, so you get an idea. I dropped my, my sophomore year, I dropped 36 on Cal and I had 30 on Washington as a sophomore. Just to let just to give you some context. So this and is this where is, this comes from. Yeah. I mean, it's confidence, dude. Yeah. I mean, think about, think about it. You're going into a place every single day where you're playing against the top NBA stars in the world. As a 19-year-old sophomore at UCLA, having just won a national championship, so your opportunity to learn, to grow, to be a sponge, to soak up knowledge, IQ, understanding, etc., and then to observe work ethics. Work ethic is what I observed the most. So I knew if I wanted to do anything, that I had to bust my butt, uh, like these guys were. And, and so, yeah, I, it was it was a great experience. And having that that, and then from there. Throughout the years, you know, Michael and I, we were pretty cool. He called me a couple times. I've seen him several times. I used to go up to Santa Barbara to kind of hang out at his camp or whatever. Sure. But, uh, so, yeah, that, but that's why this movie, for me as a kid, I idolized Jordan. Um, I Like now when I open Twitter and I see people kind of defaming him or questioning him, I just can't believe it because I come from that. I come from the era, man. You don't question Michael Jordan. No, you because 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 you are. I that's the era I came because we questioned him before. He went six and zero, and that was the thing that people aren't understanding about Mike doing this whole this whole movie. He was questioned. Is he just like Mike says throughout the entire series or through the first several episodes? I wanted to be included in the same vein as Larry and Magic. And that had everything to do with championships. And he answered the call and he finished with one more than Magic. So for me, it's like, how do you say this guy only did that because the athletes were inferior to today's athletes? Yeah. How do you say that? He he rose to his challenge. Every challenge that was in front of him, he rose to it. Even when he went and played baseball. Did you know Jordan had a 13-game hitting streak to start off in Double A as a baseball player? He had a 13. He had a he had a 13-game hitting streak to start off. Start off, and then they start throwing them curveballs. So, so everybody throwing them heaters to start <laughs> off, and then they start throwing the hooks. Yeah. He just, ah. you know, he just way off. He way out in front of it. But he started off with a 13-game hitting streak. If you he got hit a home run, if you see this guy, like like all the baseball guys, if Michael Jordan had you know, the reps, the at-bats, you know, you just need reps. It's like exactly. shooting 10,000 shots. You know, it's 10,000 at-bats. If he had it, he would have been a big leaguer. That's a, that's a testament to the athlete this guy was. Anyway, being around that, Brian, did wonders for my confidence, just to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah, I would have to say that's an understatement. And, and Chris, you can follow him on Twitter at Point Forward Pro. I'm on Twitter at Brian Fenley. And – Goodness, I, I I think what was I gonna say? There was something I was gonna bring up. Um, oh yes, okay. So I want to get your dad's take on all this too, with the the documentary that has come out and in his experiences with Michael. But you talked about this just a moment ago, how the game has changed a lot since Michael, and now what it is now with LeBron James, and people might say, well, the guys now are more physical and they're better athletes, or they're 
used to better training and conditioning. But it's a look, Chris, you would know better than me. It's a softer game now. There's more finesse. Yeah, the, there is. The, the, the pounding that Michael Jordan took, we saw it in the documentary against the Pistons. Those guys were just physical. It was just bloodshed out there. And so for those that want to slight what Michael Jordan did in that it doesn't stand a, a, as good as it would in, in these days, I have a problem with that. And, and I would think that you do as well. And how about – your, your father, I've been checking out his Twitter and chiming in on, on the documentary and what he's told you about, was it true that, that, that Michael Jordan had a, a poster of your dad in his room? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. That's a true story. Um, there was a famous Sports Illustrated shoot with Michael's got the umbrella and he's inside of his room. Uh, and then they, and so I discovered it several years ago. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty well known now. Well, not well known, but through our family, it's well known. Sure. But, uh, but so, but no, the photo, there's Kareem. So it was, so Michael was a huge Adidas guy coming, uh, coming up, you know, Nike back then was sort of the startup, if you will. They hadn't had a big part of the market uh, of the shoe game back in mid eighties. Converse obviously was number one where you had the weapons, magic, bird and all them. Then you had a bunch of other companies kind of vying for second Adidas was probably the most attractive choice for Michael. So he gravitated apparently to the Adidas guys. My dad was one of them. Um, and so he had his poster. My dad's post had this poster where he's going up in his Milwaukee number eight Bucks jersey. Uh, behind him is the, I believe it's the Milwaukee skyline. And then yeah. there's a, down below, there's this big red, I mean, it, in white writing, it says Johnson's Law. And then the font, in the clouds, in the sky, kind of the blue sky, you can, you can read what goes up goes in. So what goes up goes in is Johnson's law. Sure. <laughs> and so, so, so Mike had that poster. Uh, yeah, it, but wait till you tune in to, uh, I'm hearing there's something special on episode five uh, of, of uh, The Last Dance. So, it's easier. Okay, good. I, but just, just, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that my dad where, you know, I think he was always honored and in awe of the fact that Michael looked up to him, um, the fact that Michael held him in that regard, if you will. You know, he always appreciated that. It's sort of, you know, my dad is one of his, you know, top validations. So the way he used to talk about Jordan, you know, he was sort of, you know, it was, it's so funny because back then, I mean, these old heads, my dad was part of that old head crew. So he was there. He's before Magic. So he's before Magic. He's before Bird. He's two years before those guys. So he could be considered the old head group. Um, you know, they wasn't just trying to give up their standing in the league and their, you know, their stuff just like that to some young kid as a freshman. As yeah. a, uh, so, so that sentiment, and I know it's hard to understand now because who Jordan became, but that sentiment back then through guys like my dad, five-time NBA All-Star, guys like that, the sentiment was – you know, Mike is definitely good, but I'm not bowing down, you know. Uh, and and maybe maybe he – now, it's funny how these guys, when they get older, you know, you ask them about it, and they're just so effusive with praise, and, you know, they just give it up. Like, they don't, they don't remember, like, uh, I was there, and I remember specifically that you were not rolling with this Michael Jordan guy, and I was, because the shoes, the marketing campaign – because you got to remember, for a while, they always felt like Mar Michael was just marketed more – 
than everybody else. Kind of like LeBron, you know, getting the hundred million dollar deal and kind of having all the commercials without winning the championship. You remember the fever, uh, the, uh, the you remember the haterade behind LeBron for so many years with the Kobe, the Muppet, the puppets they had, all these different commercials and cartoons, and he hadn't won a ring. It was similar to what Michael had to experience as far as the animosity and the resentment. That's the word. Not animosity. I think it was just like resentment. This guy, you know, he hasn't even won a championship. Yeah. And what's he what's he doing on a, a you know, cover, you know, cover the New York Times? You know what I mean? It's like what are those type of scenarios. But as much as, as Michael would dish out the trash talk, your dad would also stick up for himself and, and dish it right back to him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's part of the culture, man. But that's part of the culture back then. It wasn't, you know, people, it didn't matter who you were, you could get it too. That's something that, you know, I think a lot of us that came out of that era, we live by. It, it, we're not, I mean, we respect you, okay? But, you know, you fear no man. And if somebody's going to talk some stuff to you, you got to go right back at him. I mean, what you going to do? Yeah. Just bow down? I mean, back then it was more machismo. So back okay. then it was it was more 80s. Think about it. We're in the 80s. You know, this is pre a lot of the stuff now that's kind of viewed as well i don't like that type of stuff nowadays but back then it was celebrated rambo guns a blazing you know what i mean that machismo sure. so so you had to step you had to stick up for yourself and you had to talk and dish it right back i mean i i went back and forth with mike you know i would go back and forth because i know that he didn't want you just to bow down and say oh you're the goat you're the greatest i don't have he wants competitors to go at him he wants people to, to come right back in with the ferocity that he's coming at you. Sure. And so, you know, that's, that was also one of the beauties of Mike. He accepted you for who you were. You know, I can recall there was a time I got me and um, my former teammate, Ike Nwankwo. I don't know if that name rings a bell, but he ended up transferring after a couple yeah. years at UCLA. He, he was on our championship team. He's on the roster. Um, we ended up getting to a fight in the Jordan Dome that Michael had to break up. Yeah, so we get into a fight. I, I end up punching Ike. He Ike elbows me in the mouth. I end up punching him. He punches me. I fall. And then I'm on the ground, kind of dazed a little bit. And I, I look up. I'm about to try to get up and find Ike. And I look up, and it's Michael Jordan. Chris, what are you doing? Calm down. He's like this. That's your teammate. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm, oh like, I'm like, all right, go, Jay. All right, all right, George. All right, all right, let you out. I said, no, Mike. <laughs> I wanted to get up and fight. But, I mean, imagine how surreal it was for that. And then after that, Mike was like, something, I heard him comment, that's why I love that kid. You know what I mean? I mean, really? I mean it's, it's just stuff like that that I was just like, man, this dude is one of the realest dudes that I've been around. And that was my experience. You know, everybody's experience is not, not going to be the same with Mike. You know what I mean? Everybody's not going to hold him in the same regard, the same esteem. But but Michael Jordan, for much of my, as I say, childhood, adolescence, teenage years, and early adult years, he was he was a truly a driving, inspirational force behind everything that I did. Just, I mean, I'm I'm a sports guy like that, where I wake up and I think about stuff all day, and I go to sleep thinking about it. I'm like that too. So <laughs> so Jordan was that for me. I can feel your passion. And I know that everybody who is going to consume this podcast is going to feel your passion as well. And I'm so grateful, first of all, Chris, that you understand who the GOAT is in the conversation of basketball. It is MJ. It is not LeBron James. I'm sorry. The, the, I think now the younger generation who did not get to watch 
Michael on a regular basis doesn't understand his greatness. And hopefully this documentary is giving them some insight on, on what made him so special and how cool for you to, to this, to this day, have so many great experiences with Michael that I'm sure you guys at one point will have your paths cross again, but Chris, this has been, I've had so much fun. This is, this has been a blast, man. Thanks. Thanks for really for doing this, dude. Oh, absolutely, man. I love, I love what you do, man. I see you have everybody on. I'm like, man, I got to get on there too, man. You're doing a great job, man. You're doing a great job, Brian. Keep it up, bro. Once this quarantine ends, we got, it would be great to meet and talk more Bruin stories because I eventually want to ask you, maybe this week, this is a tease for the next time. Like you teased episode five in the documentary, the <laughs> more stuff here. So here's our tease for another op opportunity to interview you is how far off are the Bruins now to getting back to what you experienced in a national championship? So that that's what maybe to let you let you just let that sink in your brain a little bit and and pontificate and meditate Absolutely. over that, and then we'll we'll have a disc, a fun discussion on that. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm not gonna, I'm going to think about it too. So you better have yes, me back on. <laughs>